In today's episode of Real People, Real God, Misu and Lindsay continue their Through the Bible character series with a fascinating view of the tabernacle as God's holy yet cozy home and the Israelites' wholehearted worship. Hi, this is Misu. And this is Lindsay. Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad you could join us today. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well this morning. Um, yeah? It's it's early. You know, we do these early for me, but I'm awake. I've been up for a while, so today oh, I'm doing good. Don't, and I'm looking, no. looking forward to a good day. But but how are you yeah. doing over there? It's I, like really don't, early. Don't even talk to me about early. <laughs> no. 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 See, right. normally I'm the one sitting over there on the way east coast, and it's 930 my time over there. But now... I've traveled to Washington back home to visit some folks and it's 6:30 my time and I just got here about mm, yeah 10:30 11 o'clock so I mm, yeah mm, mm, I'm I don't only know why on, mm. I don't know why you would leave the eastern time zone for the pacific time zone for this <laughs> I think you did this to yourself I don't know why you this would do that This is a good point this is a good <laughs> and I was telling Lindsay earlier I'm only on like my second cup of coffee so that's just it's brutal I'm just not I we're going to be yeah. doing well if I'm putting two sentences together so yeah, yeah let's all gonna... let's we're going to pray through this is what we're going to do. So we're going to have yeah. a fun time this morning, everyone. Get ready. <laughs> fun time. Okay. Well, let's get back into our Bible series, through the Bible series today. Um, and Misu, if you can, if you're able, why don't mm. you go ahead and remind us all where we left off last time? Well, last time we were playing up the mountain and down the mountain with our buddy Moses. Mm -hmm. He was acting as messenger between our real God and his real people, Israel, and those real people, you know, they weren't doing so well at remembering and interacting with their real God. You remember that golden calf, Lens? Uh-huh, yep. Real people are forgetful people, right? Oh, it was a that, mess. that phrase, you know, that just hit me right between the eyes. But, mm -hmm. you know, after some discipline and straightening out, those real people, they they did. They devoted their hearts and their stuff, you know, to, to the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up this week. They, they're bringing all their gold and silver and thread and yarn, and they're going to build God's tabernacle, his dwelling place on earth. Yeah, yeah, that's a good place for us to start this week. Mm -hmm. after, after our last episode, I love this picture that we're going to start with of the real people of the Israelites. This, uh, I'm going to read a, a long section of scripture, but I, I really like it. It's from Exodus chapter 35 about these people bringing all their stuff. Um, it says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins, all these things, um, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any, of any use in the work brought it. Every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought all that they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. And the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair and the mm. leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set um, for the ephod, for the breastpiece, and spices, spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense 
and all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses um, to be done, they brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I love I how they love this. Yeah, I love how this includes men and specifically yes. mentions the women. I yes. love that. They yeah. spun all they could spun and they brought all they could bring. Yeah, and yeah. everyone, all the people whose heart moved them brought things to the Lord. And mm-hmm. I love this. This mm-hmm. is a changed people yeah. from what we saw last time. Remember bringing yeah. other stuff to build that calf? Now they're bringing the best of what they've got um, to build this tabernacle, this dwelling place of the Lord because their hearts were so moved by God. And I love that. And it gives me hope. It gives me such hope. You know, as we've been talking through this Real People, Real God series, there's so many times when I think, oh, these real people give me hope because they're like me. And Mm. like Jacob, we talked about, Mm -hmm. he was a wrestler and God still accepted him. And his story gives me hope. But also these Israelites here, their story here gives me hope. Um, Yeah. They they want to follow their God. We see we see in this they want to follow their God and interact with Him and know Him, but sometimes they go about it very wrongly. You know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> with the <clears throat> golden calf, <laughs> they, they just <laughs> yeah, mm. they go about it in in all the wrong way. Um, yeah. But they do want to know their God, and that's like me. I I do things like this sometimes. I desperately want to know my God, um, and I want to interact with Him, but sometimes I go about it in all the wrong ways, or sometimes I get caught up in something that's just slightly off center of, of actually knowing him well. Um, Mm. you know, like sometimes I want to worship God, but instead I kind of get caught up worshiping my own devotion to him or how much stuff Mm. I can do for him, or I want Ah, to praise him for all he's done in my life. But instead I kind of start thinking about all I've done for him and I kind of praise myself for what I've done for him or, or, you know, and so I think, I think that I'm kind of like these people and they, they want to know their mm-hmm. God, but they're just not mm-hmm. always doing it right. And their story gives me hope because, um, they do eventually get it here in this, in this example, they get it. And, and you know what? God meets them where they're at. Also, he meets them in their, yeah. their fallenness. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's where the hope comes is he meets them there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that they get it. It's that he meets them there, even yeah. when they're not perfect at it, that he meets them where they are and brings them forward. And even after they've just committed this terrible sin of completely forgetting him, forgetting mm-hmm. what all they'd learned, all they'd experienced with this, they forgot him with the golden mm-hmm. calf. And, and he was so furious that he threatened not to go with him to the promised land. And yet look at what their God is doing now with his great Mm -hmm. mercy and forgiveness and kindness. Now he's saying, not only am I going to go with you, but I'm going to show you how to create a place where I'm going to dwell with you. I just, that's amazing. Now here is this huge, this God whose dwelling place is the whole universe. Isaiah 61 or 66, one says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool stool. Mm. What is the house that, that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? It's not like God needed a home. It's not like he needed, you know, he didn't need a little shanty for, you know, but he was choosing to make himself. I love this word accessible Mm -hmm. to these real people. But you know that God who reveals himself and wants to relate, right? There you go. That's exactly it. Accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, but you know, that little word accessible, it's not big enough for our real God. He's, he's not just going to be accessible 
and dwelling somewhere out there, he's going to dwell in a place. I love this part that these people, his real people have created with their own hands, Mm -hmm. their stuff that of course they took from the Egyptians, but piece by piece, thread by thread, curtain by curtain, they will build this tabernacle for the God who absolutely consumed the top of Mount Sinai with an unapproachable Mm -hmm. fire. Now he's giving them the opportunity to possess him like he had chosen to possess them. Do you love that? Oh my goodness. That just gives me chills when I think Mm -hmm. about that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, this is the opportunity for them to interact with him through their tangible stuff. Yeah. Something that they could touch and see and feel. He's no longer just a God out there. Sometimes it seems like, yeah, like God is out there. Like he's other, like he's so intangible. I can't Mm -hmm. grasp him. And what an amazing opportunity to relate to God with things you can touch, things you can make. That's yeah. What yeah. a blessing for them. And I, I, I think this is kind of a, a foreshadowing. Of course, we know it is, in fact, to the incarnation of Christ. It's a it's a first the first time that we've seen God come in a tangible, touchable form. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who had been completely unreachable. Mm-hmm. Now he's becoming real and tangible. And in fact, I love this. John first uh, John one fourteen. Remember. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that Mm -hmm. word for dwelt in the original Hebrew is actually tabernacled. So the way Mm. that would read is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And the great Jesus was the in the flesh tabernacle of God. I, I, every detail of scripture is planned Every detail from the very beginning of time, just like every detail of this tabernacle was planned to the T because God's first dwelling place on earth was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, God's dwelling place is in heaven. And what we see all throughout scripture is the the garden of Eden mirrored heaven. And now this tabernacle is going to mirror or resemble both Eden and heaven. Mm. So as we as we mm. begin to talk about the furnishings of this tabernacle, keep those themes of Eden and heaven in mind. But, okay, before we do any of that, Lindsay, who in the world is going to have the skill among all of these slaves to build? such an amazing dwelling place, right? Yeah. Who's going to do that? Yeah. So I love this, this part also. God chose these two men, Bezalel and Oholeab. I don't really know if I'm saying those things correctly. I don't know if I am. These these men Mm -hmm. would probably be upset with me for my pronunciation of their names. (laughs) But Bezalel and Oholeab, um, God chose these two men and specifically gave them skills for this. And these might be Mm -hmm. two biblical names you've not heard before, but just just listen to this little passage uh, from Exodus 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and carving wood for, for work in every skilled craft. 
and he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. Oh, man. You did it, girl. You did (laughs) it. Good job. Thank you. Um, And he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, um, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. God set apart these two men. Yeah. Yeah. To do this work. These these two people are probably names you haven't heard before. They're, they're definitely lesser known, quote, heroes of the faith. They don't really make it into the heroes of the faith. Right. But, but what an important role. What oh, an man. important role to play in yeah. the history of God's real people. In, in creating God's dwelling place. Yeah among his people. And this is what a major, mm-hmm. major pivotal point in, in the history of mankind, not just in Israel's history, but the history of all mankind, God on earth. This yeah. is huge, huge. Yeah. And to be chosen and set apart for that yeah. work, to be filled with the spirit for that work mm-hmm. is, is an amazing, amazing role. And you know, I work with I work with college students, right? So I work um, I work with college students at a university here in Wisconsin, and this university has a music conservatory as part of the mm-hmm. university, and it's really a very prestigious, competitive music conservatory. It's kind of the Juilliard of the Midwest. It's very, very, very well known um, conservatory up here, and so I work among students who a lot of them are music students, and they're honing their craft day mm. after day, year after year. They're practicing, they're honing it, um, and the university because they've got so many of these students studying and and performing so well in music, they put on these amazing choir concerts and orchestra concerts and theater Mm -hmm. productions, just top-notch stuff. And these students love their art and their craft, and they love making the world a more beautiful place through music and through Mm -hmm. theater arts. Um, And when I think of one of these students, especially like one of my students who's a composition major who's studying to write music or something Mm. like that, when I think about one of them being commissioned by God himself and and given skill by God himself to create a piece in which Mm. the real God would dwell, ooh, that gives me chills. Like that's mind-blowing to think about. Um, one of my students being given that opportunity. That's what Bezalel and Oholea, that's, that's what they got. You know, talk about pressure. It's kind of, yeah. kind of a lot, yeah. <laughs> but also talk about the honor of that. Like, the, yeah. like how amazing. And I, I wonder how these two men felt. I wonder, humbled, probably mm. frightened, probably mm-hmm. honored, probably very ill-equipped, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably, like, ah, yeah, yeah, probably all of the above. And I can't, I can't even imagine, um, and there are only a, a few times in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God is specifically mentioned as showing up and filling mm-hmm. someone with a specific skill or ability. It happens a few times in the Old Testament, but not many. Yeah. And this this moment, this building of God's dwelling place, um, this task for which our real God chose these men, this is one of the moments where yeah. they would need the filling of His Spirit. And so God's Spirit shows up to fill them um, so that they could have the skill and the ability and the courage to yeah. to complete this task no for God, and mm-hmm. that's just that's just amazing to me. So if if that doesn't um, fill you with awe, thinking about God Himself commissioning someone and filling them for that task, um, I think that's great. So if that's not enough for us, let's keep going on to describe these different parts of the tabernacle, the furnishings. There's a lot in there, Misu. There's like 50 chapters of scripture or something oh, like that dedicated to these details. So you're going to help unpack some of this for us. 
right? Yeah, this, unpack this these podcast furnishings. is going to be like four and a half hours long and we're going to go into, no, <laughs> In just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. We're going to do a flyover of those 50 chapters, just a brief aerial view. And um, we'll start with the tabernacle itself. It's three parts. The tent proper had two parts, um, the, the most holy place and the holy place. And then the third part of the tabernacle was actually the courtyard surrounding the tent. So first of all, let's talk about that, that courtyard. Um, the courtyard faced east with curtains that had cherubim woven into them, separating the humans uh, on the outside of the camp from God's earthly presence. Now, remember, I said this was going to be similar to the Garden of Eden. So let's, uh, if, if you want to look at the inst- God's instructions for those cherubim woven curtains you can go to Exodus 26 1 and Exodus 27 but let's remember back to the Garden of Eden that's in Genesis 24 for the reminder of the eastern entrance to the Garden of Eden this is what it how it's described after God drove the man out because he sinned God placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way Mm. to the tree of life. Mm -hmm. So you see how this this courtyard and the tent both had curtains woven with cherubim on that eastern side, that eastern entrance. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm talking about with this this similarities to the Garden of Eden. Now, the next place... um, is the most holy place. We're going to go kind of from the inside out in our description now. Mm -hmm. In the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark. Um, It was made of acacia wood, very specific acacia wood. And it was one of several furnishings made of this kind of particular wood. And then it was overlaid with gold. Now, many folks think that this is a foreshadowing using this kind of wood of the the crucifixion Mm -hmm. um, because the acacia wood was decay resistant and it had the the trees bore really thick thorns now Mm. think about that the cross a wooden structure bore christ to the grave with a crown of thorns but his body saw no decay so Mm. that's kind of a cool um foreshadowing in a lot of people's minds then on top of the ark sat this mercy seat now the mercy seat was all pure gold and it was one piece so it had Mm. to be hammered out of gold all one piece and Mm. this is where god's presence rested between the wings of golden cherubim so imagine trying to hammer out these one piece it was a flat piece that covered the ark and then Mm -hmm. golden cherubim rose up above it with their wings hanging over it and now now here's what ezekiel the prophet ezekiel saw in his vision of heaven this was hundreds of years later a thousand a couple thousand actually then the glory of the lord departed over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim while i watched the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground Hmm. ezekiel is seeing heaven Hmm. and yet hundreds of years before god told Moses to create this little mercy seat inside a tent mm-hmm. that that mirrored what real heaven looked like. I just think that is yeah. fascinating. 
Yeah, and I was struck. You were talking about the the mercy seat, the one piece of of gold yeah. that was made out of. Uh-huh. As I was reading these instructions for the the furnishings of the tabernacle, it struck me that some of them, um, a few of them, it said were made all of one piece, um, uh-huh. which is really interesting. And and this mercy seat of the ark was one of them in Exodus chapter thirty seven. Verses six through eight, it says, he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth. He made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on one end, one cherub on the other, of one piece with the mercy seat. He made the cherubim on its two ends. And so this is like a... Just imagine trying to hammer that out. It seems mm-hmm. it just seems amazing to me that this was all one piece of hammered gold. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you're just uh, you know hammering this out and heating it up and hammering it and and making one large piece. It's it's not that easy just to make one large flat seat, but then but then with two with two cherubim on the yeah. side of it, which I imagine yeah. were probably very Huge. ornate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And very ornate and um yeah. rising up on either side. And to make that all out of one piece. You're you're spinning this, you're turning it, you're hammering it, mm-hmm. you're melting it, you're you know it, it would have required such great skill and great yeah. patience oh, to make a that piece word. like that. Patience. patience. Yeah. And how, I mean, I think of artists, a lot of artists have way more patience than I ever have for like, like honing their craft like that. And so I just picture Bezalel or Oholiab, um, making this with such great skill and such great Mm -hmm. patience to hammer this Mm -hmm. in one piece. And, and how fitting is that for the place where God would come and sit (laughs) essentially, um, Mm -hmm. this mercy seat where he would come and sit among them kind of in this most holy place. I just, I was just really struck by that. I don't know. And how much patience would God need with them? Seriously. Um, when he was sitting there, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we know what happens with the Israelites and God is going to sure need a lot of patience with them. So that's very appropriate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Now we're going to leave the most holy place and we're going to go into a little bit of the, the larger second section of the tent called the holy place and just outside of the that dividing curtain is the altar of incense it's also called the golden altar it's right next to that curtain and that altar only burned incense except for one time of year the high priest would put blood on it Mm. on the day of atonement but mostly every other day of the year it was to be managed and stoked, its flames stoked and incense burned on it by one person alone, just the high priest. Mm. And in this period of time, it was Aaron. So Aaron, day or night, 24-7, 365 days a year, it was up to Aaron to keep that incense altar burning. The golden altar was his responsibility alone. Now, This incense that burned on it was a special recipe. It was only used for this one singular purpose. And in fact, it was so holy and so precious to God. It was meant for him alone. If anyone else used this incense for any other purpose, they were to be put to death. That's how holy this incense was. That's even more holy than like grandma's secret pumpkin pie recipe no that kidding. only comes out once a year Thanksgiving or something like no that. No kidding, like, right? Wow, I mean, this yeah. is like a secret, secret recipe. Like, uh-huh. yeah, no kidding. So, and and later in scripture, this is really, it, it makes sense because later in scripture, both Old and New Testament, 
incense symbolizes the prayers of God's people. And so it makes sense that God says, I am your only God. Nobody need let no one else pray to anybody but me. So it, 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 it makes sense that no mm-hmm. incense is used anywhere else because he wants to be the receiver of your prayers and him mm-hmm. alone. Revelation 8, 3 through 4 says another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Hmm. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So again, this golden altar in the tabernacle is a picture of what's going on in heaven. Then we've got the next piece of furnishing, and that's table, the table of showbread. On this table, there was one loaf of bread for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was replenished. Each of these loaves was replenished and presented to the Lord with incense each Sabbath. So once Mm. a week. Now, when these priests switched out the week old bread for that fresh bread, Leviticus 24, 9 tells us that these priests were invited to eat the old bread in the presence of the Lord as a fellowship meal. Okay, Mm. Lindsay. Are you excited about eating week old bread? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, no, is that you. a great deal? I, I'm, I, you know, when I read that, I thought, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And they get week old bread, but, but then fellowship yeah. with the Lord, week old bread. Oh, uh, okay. Thing, right? right. Because I'm thinking this is reminiscent of that meal that Moses, Aaron, his two sons and the 70 elders ate on Mount Sinai. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking God could probably make week old bread taste pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, even those little wafers aren't so bad on Sunday morning when I, yeah, because I'm communing I, with the Lord. Because right? I'm communing with the Lord. I'm thinking that grape juice and those little wafers are just pretty awesome. So yeah, I, yeah. that, that is a precious, precious time when the people who serve the Lord most intimately get to share that week old bread. I, mm-hmm. I love that. Here's another interesting little tidbit. Um, the the bread the show bread it took the same amount of flour to make one loaf of of show bread for each tribe the it was the exact amount of manna that was to be gathered for a single sabbath huh. so that's really a fun little tidbit now the yeah. golden lampstands were next they were the only source of light in the tabernacle they were never allowed to go out but the lampstand was also a symbol of the garden, Eden, Garden of Eden, the mm. tree of life. It was, again, Lynn's solid gold, all one piece. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was decorated with an almond bud and a blossom. Some commentaries even said it included the almond nut on it. Mm. And it was to represent all the growing cycles. So like the, like that altar of incense, it was in, it was, it had to burn continually. And in order to do that, they used olive oil. Now here's the deal where you get olive oil in the middle of the wilderness, right? Yeah. It it has to come from the Lord. Mm. He either has to find them wild olive trees so they can press it, or he has to just make that, that olive oil burn continually. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Revelation 22, 5 says, there will be no more light. And these are the end of days. There will not need, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. I Mm. think that 
provision of God in the wilderness was a foreshadowing of the provision of our God in eternity of his yeah. light. I yeah, love I, that. I love this. Um, I don't know why, but this particular piece of the tabernacle, the golden lampstand, mm-hmm. it just really struck me. And it also just kind of gave me chills to think about it. it it's just this idea of light continuously burning in this, yeah. in this place, that's God's dwelling place. Um, and with, with the fuel that God provided them, you know, um, yeah. these real people are stumbling through the wilderness, afraid they're going to die and, and not thinking that God's always going to provide for them, but he does provide for all their needs, um, assuring them of his presence and care. Mm-hmm. And he provides them with this oil that they would need to keep fueling this lampstand by which the light the light they would know that he's with them, um, that they would continue to know his future presence and care among them. And I think that's cool. And just between this continual burning light, um, which, which would have just lit up that whole place and made it feel warm, I think, um, Mm -hmm. between that and then that this lampstand has the, the almond bud and blossom on it. It's like, it's like new life, um, and, and light. There's something to me about this lampstand that feels hopeful and inviting. It's like budding Mm -hmm. life and warm light. And that just feels hopeful, I think, and exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's exciting because it's, it's like, this is like a microcosm of heaven on earth. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing that it's, it's important for us to remember, it's only the priests that get to see inside this tent, Mm -hmm. the holy place. And that's Aaron and his sons. So at this point, it's Aaron and four four people mm-hmm. when the when it's set up, and then at some point, two of Aaron's sons die. So it's only Aaron and two of his sons. So three people are the only people that get to enjoy this, which mm. is just amazing to me. Yeah. And we won't even talk about how Aaron and two sons eat twelve loaves of bread, but it, <laughs> we, we won't even go back there. But. Then we're going to now talk about the courtyard, which is the third part of the tabernacle. Now we're going to say, okay, now the Levites and the others, that they're going to be able to see this next part, the whole courtyard. So that's outside the tabernacle proper. And it's kind of a fence of curtains that protect the tent of meeting and God's presence from the people. Um, and it's Inside this courtyard now, there are several furnishings. The first one we come to just outside of the tent is the bronze basin or the bronze laver. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically a large pool of water in which the priests wash their hands and feet as a symbolic cleansing before they make an offering to the Lord for the people. And I I love this bronze basin for so many reasons. Besides the fact that it's just a great big tub of water in the middle of a wilderness, (laughs) You know, I mean, that's kind of fun, but it it also reminds us of the rivers that are mentioned in the heavenlies and in the Garden of Eden. But the coolest thing about this bronze basin is the way it was constructed. So listen to this, Exodus 38, 8, it says, they made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the tent entrance to the tent of meeting. Hmm. So mirrors, every time the priests would wash their hands and feet before presenting an offering on behalf of someone else, they had to look in a mirror and check their own hearts. Hmm. Oh, how cool is that, right? <laughs> oh, I just really love that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that now the next 
piece of furnishing um, beyond that and closer to the entrance where more people would be able to see it is the altar of burnt offering. That's the bronze altar. We talked about the gold mm -hmm. altar mm -hmm. that was inside the tent. Now this is the bronze altar that's outside the tent and it's closer to the entrance where more people can see. It's between the basin and the curtains and it is a crucial art article of, of furnishing. We'll see that later on. For now, the most significant detail that we'll talk about are the horns on each of its four corners to secure the offering or sacrifice on the altar. Remember another sacrifice lens that was secured or tangled up by its horns? Remember that? Um, I think there was a ram once. Ah, there you go. Maybe. Genesis, Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. So we've got a little bit of, of uh, just reminder there as he was, as they were making that altar. So there yeah. you go, Linz. Overview. This aerial view. This yeah. concludes our Whew. tour of the tabernacle. Ah. That, was a, that was a pretty good tour. I, I feel like I could envision it more than I've ever really good. seen it or thought about it before. I good. think that was a good overview awesome. for people. But That's yeah, I mean... Wow, that was a that was still a lot of interesting That's pieces a lot, and a lot of, of things, stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was just an overview. But I can I can picture it and Good. and picture this place where God would dwell among them. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting to me is it kind of some of those furnishings in there that we just talked about. It kind of reminds me of a home <laughs> when we talk about ah, God dwelling yeah. there. It reminds me of a home, like a place to wash and purify yourself, like a basin mm -hmm. for washing, a place to eat together at this, this oh, table yeah. of the showbread to eat together with God, eat a meal and this warm light that burns throughout the night and throughout the day. Mm. Um, yeah. I just think that's really cool. I mean, while we know that this is a very holy place, I mean, you talked about mm -hmm. only Aaron and his sons could, could go in there. We know it's very holy, Yeah. but there's something about it that Absolutely. also seems really homey and kind of yeah. cozy to me. Um, mm -hmm. like my own home with, with a table with bread and a, a light to burn through the night. Um, mm. I like that. I like that God's yeah. dwelling place is holy, but somehow kind of like my own home, <laughs> kind of like yeah. our own dwelling place is a place to relate to other people. Um, mm. and that's what, that's what our God is about. We've been talking about. He, yeah. he reveals himself to us and relates to us. And this feels like a home where God would sit and relate to his people within his home is, is kind of yeah. how it feels to me. So cool. that's, I a think that's cool. Yeah. Um, so Misu, where should we, where should we end this story of the tabernacle today? God's well, place. let's, let's end it with God moving into his new home. Shall we? This, yes. This moving model. Day. <laughs> yeah. Moving day. Here we go. This model of heaven and Eden made to his explicit instruction. So after all these pieces of the tabernacle were completed and uh, the people set up the tabernacle from the inside out, beginning with the most holy place and then extending outward to the courtyard. And then um, listen to this picture of our real God coming home to dwell among them. I love this. Exodus 40, 34 through 38 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And again, listen to this, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I mean, twice Moses talks about that throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, 
than they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, mm. in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Oh, mm -hmm. God was dwelling on earth among them. Can you even wrap your mind around that? I just, mm -hmm. that just thrills me. It just thrills me. And mm -hmm. his glory is so powerful here that even Moses can't go in. I mean, okay, this is the same Moses who talked with God. He walked yeah. with God. He met with God. He saw God's glory. I mean, the only man on earth that God, you know, God hid him in that cleft of the rock and he let his glory pass by. I mean, this is Moses, but he, even he can't stand it. He can't go in there because mm. of the, um, the power of God's glory in that tabernacle. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's homey, but I'll tell you what, it's most definitely still holy. Yeah. Ah, I just love that. Okay. So, so after he comes home and he's in this tabernacle, Leviticus 1 begins talking about the ordination ceremony for Aaron and his sons, and it culminates in Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. And let me read this little bit to you, too. It says, Aaron lifts his hands toward the people and bless them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. See, Aaron was learning all those things because mm -hmm. he's in a new, new role. He stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting, both of them, not just mm -hmm. Moses this time, but both. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Yeah. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar, which are altar, gold or bronze? The bronze. Yeah, there you go. See, it's Got that it. bronze altar we were talking about Pop that's quiz. right there in the in the view of those of the people. And when all the people saw it, what happened, Linz? Uh, they ran and they ran away. Fear and they <laughs> ran. Up. No, 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 no. See, that was back at Mount Sinai. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and mm. fell face down. Amen. I love no fear and avoidance like we saw at Mount Sinai. No, no, no. See, because now their real God speaks from the tabernacle that they built with their own hands mm -hmm. and they fall down in worship. Oh my yeah. goodness. My heart is so full. I just, and Aaron, bless his little heart. You know, I just wanted to smack him around when he built that golden calf. But you know, <laughs> Here, yeah. he steps into a place of leadership beside Moses, and he blesses the people with Moses, and he leads them to worship the one and only God of Israel. I just mm. want to hug him now. You know, I yeah. was going to slap him before, but now I just want to hug him. I, yeah. That I'm just, oh, yay. That is a great yay. place. Great place to end uh, our, our discussion yes. of the tabernacle. Real people face down with joy mm -hmm. and reverence for their real God who, who met them where they're at and who dwells yeah. with them now. That's yes, that's wonderful. So that's going to be, that's going to be all for us today, everybody. Um, be sure you don't miss a single episode of real people, real God. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, or Stitcher, or you can listen on the Friday blog at, um, Misu's blog, www.misuandrews.com slash blog. And we have notes for each podcast available on the blog on the date of the podcast. 
and you can post comments and questions and if you have a question specifically for one of us just indicate that you want one of us and we would love to reply to that so yeah okay thanks everybody for listening come back next time and remember be real thanks for listening to real people real god if you've enjoyed this episode please take a moment to give us a rating on itunes we rely on real people to provide feedback and a real god to provide listeners 